Welcome, 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 everyone. It is Danny Haifong joining you today at this 9 a.m. Eastern time uh, to discuss a very important topic, a very important subject, one that honestly I wish I could avoid because I uh, I don't know if I just came on live on YouTube. There might be a, a, a lag. So let me just begin again. Welcome, everyone. This is Danny Haifong. Uh, host of The Left Lens and of the upcoming uh, show, The Internationalist Transmission, which will begin uh, later this month, I believe probably next month to be uh, more honest. Uh, and the reason for that is because I am no longer going to be uh, working full time. Uh, this has been quite a journey over the last several months, uh, the last year and a half for all of us. And I need a break from that grind. And I'm actually uh, being allowed the opportunity to do so. So I feel very lucky, but I will be relying more on my followers, my contributors, my readers, those who my comrades, those who follow my work and appreciate my work. And so I have been over the course of the last uh, I would say a month or so, asking those who do follow my work and support it to please subscribe to my Patreon, uh, become a sustainer for no matter how small of an amount and help make this transition actually sustainable so I can do this for as long as possible and put in the time uh, that I know this kind of work deserves and that I have rarely had uh, the ability to achieve um, in the past and to put in in the in the past. So welcome everyone again. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it is early, early for me. I have the day off. I'm, I'm fulfilling a 30-day notice right now, uh, but soon I will have a lot more time to be with you all at hours that are a lot more convenient, I hope, for viewers, for readers. For those who follow me again, you know, please do support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong as I'm moving into a transition where I will be relying more on my readers, my followers, and those who appreciate my work uh, for the support in order to make this transition to a more full-time uh, capacity uh, in this work more possible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all those who already do contribute. Um, I also, you know, later in this uh, stream, I also will announce um, probably at the end after we have our great guest on talking about lab leak theory, uh, there is a great event that I will be speaking at and I, I will uh, be co-organizing, which is uh, held by the Friends of Socialist China, a platform that myself and a comrade and two other comrades have formed and uh, it's a platform to express solidarity to understand china better to understand its process better and we are going to have a great lineup at this event which is called the propaganda war against china it'll start 9 a.m eastern on a saturday yes that's probably very early for a lot of you but it'll be very much worth it so i'm going to share uh, details about that um actually i want to pull it up so uh, give me uh, just one second, okay? I'm going to pull uh, this event up by going into my Twitter and getting it up on the page. Let me see if I can. 
Here we go. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to pull that up later uh, before the stream ends. But, you know, it's early, so I don't know how many folks are coming on. I try to share this out. It's streaming on Facebook. I don't know why it's not streaming on, I hope, I think it's streaming on Twitter as well. Uh, for those of you who may see this on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, please do go to the left lens, uh, give a like, go to the YouTube page and watch it there. Um, in any event, uh, yes, everyone like and share, like and share. So, hi, it's, uh, it, it may take some time for people to come in. So that's why I'm on a half hour early. So as many people can hear what my guest Joshua Cho, an independent journalist, has to say about lab leak theory. And so I'm just going to give my position on this because, unfortunately, it is a very important issue and a lot of people... A lot of people across the political spectrum have embraced this, uh, what really is a conspiracy, right? Uh, and I've in the past compared it to Russiagate and people have taken issue with that. But I, I do stand firm in my position on this in that while Russiagate had m many more electoral implications directly when it came to the 2016 election and then all of the fallout from that. It is clear that lab leak theory is politically motivated and driven by intelligence agencies. Let's be very clear about this. That from the very beginning, right, back in 2020, when we had people like Josh Rogan over at the Washington Post saying that he had anonymous sources and so-called leaked cables saying that there were so-called safety issues at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, just understand that those sources were intelligence sources and that uh, even the documents that he read from did not have any issues with what the Wuhan Institute of Virology was doing in their lab. The issue was supposedly about understaffing which is already a dubious claim. And I know our guest, Joshua Cho, will have a lot to say about, because he wrote a whole article about the so-called safety concerns at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And now there's been all this stuff that's come out about gain-of-function research, which he will also get into. So I'm not a scientist, and I don't like to play scientist because... COVID-19 origins, and I don't want to get canceled here on YouTube because I know a lot of people are getting taken down. I know I know things, uh, topics about this are, are being heavily monitored on platforms. So I want to be very clear. I'm not playing scientist here. I don't need, I have no intention of doing that. But there is a huge political motive behind this lab leak theory. And it has everything to do with the United States' aggressive in downright racist new Cold War posture. China is being blamed for starting the COVID-19 pandemic, or if it isn't the more far-right iteration of the, fact the Chinese Communist Party, the big bad Chinese Communist Party released a virus into the world population um, as a way to, whatever, secure power, all of this nonsense. Then what is more mainstreamed is the is the notion that China covered up 
an accident, something that happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that allowed this virus to escape. But the facts are very clear. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has no capacity uh, to study, had no possession of this kind of virus. There are so many things that Joshua will get into about the way that research is conducted at, a, at WIV and similar institutions and how the closest virus to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic to SARS-CoV-2 is so many generations uh, far from it that there is just no way that anything like COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 could have been produced in a lab. And this has been verified by the World Health Organization. <gasps> Nobody wants to take the WHO's investigation uh, where the results were released in March seriously. But not only did they verify that China did everything in their, in their capacity to uh, cooperate with them, but it also concluded as of March 31st that the most likely origin of COVID-19 is zoonotic, a.k.a. came from nature and jumped from nature to human beings, jumped from animal to human beings, not from a lab. Now, it is important to understand that there has been a lot of pushback recently, and we have to get into the politics of this. The Biden administration has changed the political calculus. Now the World Health Organization has done a 180 of sorts and has adhered to pressure from the Biden administration to try to demand that China open up the WIV and investigate. And China has been opposed to this. And there have been a lot of people now saying, oh, no, China's opposed to this. Look, they're not cooperating with the World Health Organization. Told you so. We have to pump the brakes because the reason why China is not allowing this lab leak investigation to uh, go on is because of the political motivation of all of this. If you have the World Health Organization already releasing a report saying it's more, it's more likely a zoonotic origin uh, that the virus contains, then why would China allow this lab leak theory, which is all about smearing China, to have any basis uh, for investigation? Can, the, can China truly trust any institution that, has, that is being influenced by the United States in being honest about its investigation? And can... And first, and we have to be very clear as well that the uh, you know the this whole lab leak theory is really about undermining China. It's about China's sovereignty. It's about demonizing China, blaming China, scapegoating China, and the fact that the World Health Organization has been pressured into something that is very much a U.S. project, a, a project of the United States to undermine another country, just goes to show that when politics shift in the United States, it has worldwide implications. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions about lab leak theory, and Joshua Cho is going to get into some of the nuts and bolts. But I am going to just, until he comes on, I'm going to talk about some of the political problems with lab leak theory. And another article that's great that I'll try to link to in the description after this it was written by Alex Rubenstein back uh, in the summer of this year, 
where he talks about a lot of these political problems, right? And one of the biggest problems with lab leak theory is that it only goes after the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So if we're going to be consistent and we're going to say, okay, we want to have a total investigation of everything that could be possible, even though scientists, the vast majority of scientists, don't give me Nicholas Wade that, you know, he's, he's been, he's been completely, uh, you know, rejected in the larger scientific community everywhere. And this includes China, but this includes uh, the scientific community everywhere. No one, no one is holding up Nicholas Wade other than lab leak enthusiasts saying he is the one we should be listening to. So let's also be clear on that. And I know Joshua Cho has a lot of feelings on Nicholas Wade. As an astute person, hey, Tony, said in the chat, yes, open up Fort Detrick. That, that is the point of the politicization of this, that if we're going to be consistent, and I would never advocate for uh, these labs to be investigated for COVID-19 because it's likely zoonotic in origin. So it would be a lot of wasted time, especially for international bodies, which are already inadequate, which already don't do enough, and which already are so heavily influenced by imperialism. Don't think we could trust any investigation led by these institutions. So, and, and, it, and it falls outside of the scope of institutions that are less influenced, like you know the Office for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. We saw what happened there with Syria, that there was a lot of flip-flopping, a lot of pressure. So the international situation really demands that we move away from this lab leak theory. This is what this whole conversation will be about. Because by focusing solely on Wuhan Institute of Virology, there's already an ideological message being sent. And we have to focus on ideology uh, as we do not have a lot of facts that still need to be unearthed about COVID-19. Uh, but the ideological significance of lab leak theory is that it focuses on the Wuhan Institute of Virology and sends the message. Wuhan is where the COVID-19 pandemic started. Wuhan is where it emerged from. And China is the reason for that. The sick man of Asia racist trope continues, right? And I know about this because I grew up in an environment where, uh, you know, the, the notion of Asians, uh, anyone who looks Chinese or Asian identified, there's the sick man of Asia trope that, you know, you're more likely to get sick, that you are a carrier of disease. That is something that is very common in the United States and the Western world. It is a very much a part of their white supremacist infrastructure and ideological infrastructure. So, uh, that is what lab leak theory really reinforces because it has no basis in science. And honestly, when China says this is this virus is being politicized, they're talking about how lab leak theory demonizes China, undermines China, attempts to violate Chinese sovereignty, attempts to dehumanize the Chinese people. And this whole association with COVID-19 with Chinese people has had intense in immense impact, uh, impacts and effects here in the United States, as we've seen with all the anti-Asian racism and violence that has spiked uh, since uh, COVID-19 began. So that, I think, uh, forms some of the political basis of COVID-19 uh, lab leak theory. 
Uh, there are so many issues with it. That, and Josh is going to get into, so he wrote two great pieces for Mint Press News, which we will talk about. And he's going to get into a lot of the nuts and bolts, some of them, at least scientifically, because he, and I really applaud him for this, he worked with uh, virologists, scientists, to, and he talked to them about the bases for some of these claims about safety standards, for example, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, um, you know, bio level safety, all of that is, has been, you know, at the basis of lab leak theory. And it's really dependent on people not really knowing much about science because the, the vast majority of us aren't scientists. And so it's very easy to get caught up in anything that's an anti-establishment or poses as an anti-establishment theory that yeah there's this there's this government in china that is working behind the scenes to create a virus or maybe it's doing things so carelessly because it, it you know there's this nefarious research going on and joshua cho will debunk all of that so uh welcome everyone uh you know we've 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 gotten more people come in to this live stream. Um, as I said before, you know, Joshua Cho, an independent journalist, he will join me at 930 to talk about his two pieces on Mint Press News. That's the, the basis for this live stream. And I want to also just let you know that, you know, later this month, I'm going to be uh, taking a major break from full time work. I mean, I need the break so to speak, but I'm using it as an opportunity uh, to uh, really do this work on a more full-time basis. So I'm asking readers, followers, those who appreciate my work to help me by becoming a sustaining uh, subscriber to my Patreon for whatever amount, however small, uh, whatever amount helps. And I'm really excited about this because I'm going to be doing more things like this. I'm going to be doing uh, you know, a new program, the Internationalist Transmission, which kicked off a little bit last year, but uh, I didn't, or I mean, yeah, a little bit last year, a little bit during the winter time, um, but it, it wasn't able to be sustained because I just don't have the time uh, as work started to kick up and reopening talks at my job. And there was a lot of fight about that. I was involved in some union, um, yeah, some union activities. So uh, in any event, now I'm going to be getting a lot more time coming up, but uh, I'll need your support. And so I, I am asking for it. Anyway, it's early, so a lot of people might not be able to catch this, but please do like, subscribe, share. And yeah, we're talking lab leak theory. And for me, I've been very disappointed. I haven't really wanted to talk. I, I don't even like talking about COVID-19 anymore because I think COVID-19 has taken people down, a lot of people down, a very dangerous direction. Uh, there's all of this, um, you know, there's all this misinformation. What China warned about back before the United States even had a, a an outbreak that was detected, right? Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that shows that COVID-19 was spreading in the United States in December or maybe even as early as September in Italy as early as September of 2019. We can go down and on Brazil, uh, Spain. There have been traces found in water sewage. 
from prior to their out to all of the outbreaks that occurred, the first outbreak that occurred in Wuhan. There's a lot of evidence that shows that COVID-19 didn't start in Wuhan. And that's another major problem with lab leak theory is that it does solely focus on China and it it is all about uh, how bad and how poor China has done when in fact China has the best COVID-19 response in the world and in a lot of ways, right? Vietnam is a close second. New Zealand has done some good things, but China was the first country to detect the virus, to understand it, to begin the process of figuring out how to respond to it. And they did a masterful job and are still doing a masterful job in protecting human life. China is a country of 1.4 billion people and there are less than 6,000 COVID-19 deaths. Uh, the United States has more than 100 times that number, but less than a fourth of the population. So lab leak theory really does distract from those facts. And it's unfortunate because China early on in the pandemic, before it was even a pandemic, was warning about or after it was declared a pandemic uh, early in 2020, uh, once it started spreading around the world, they warned about the infodemic. And the United States has been awash in an infodemic. There are so many ideas, so many people playing scientists, uh, so much mistrust uh, in the government, rightfully so. The United States government is not to be trusted. The United States government has conducted biological warfare on its own people many, 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 many times, right? Uh, the United States has used biological warfare abroad many times. They talk about Syria using chemical weapons with absolutely no proof. And actually, that's been debunked so many times by uh, great journalists. But at the same time, the United States uses biological chemical weapons like depleted uranium, like white phosphorus, right? So I, I, the hypocrisy is so clear here that the infodemic has produced a situation where China is being blamed for COVID-19, whether accidentally or nefariously and intentionally. And the United States gets a pass, right? And so, you know, China and other uh, forces, countries, uh, progressives, leftists have said, yeah, open up Fort Detrick then. You know, let's talk about why it was closed for safety issues in 2019. Let's talk about how people have been infected uh, I think it was of July of 2019. That's why it was closed. There was some kind of virus spreading right uh, in the area. And let's talk about all the terrible things that have gone down <laughs> at Fort Detrick, like, for example, experimenting with anthrax. Let's talk about all of that, maybe. But if we, if we can't talk about it, then we, then we need to stop talking about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, because there is so much evidence that shows that the Wuhan Institute of Virology is doing research that is pretty standard on coronaviruses and other viruses, and that it's the lack of understanding and the misinformation that's swirling about uh, that gets us thinking that, oh man, the this dealing with coronaviruses at all is a danger to everybody. And that's, that's not true. That's not science, right? Uh, coronaviruses and all kinds of viruses. There's all kinds of experiments done on mice and on other, and it's and in a lot of ways that are, are needed to understand this biological phenomenon. And so we have to be very careful in conflating some kind of anti-establishment attitudes with 
conspiratorial thinking. And I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me for saying conspiratorial thinking. But guess what? When the establishment is pumping something like lab leak theory and it's coming from U.S. intelligence and it's coming from people like Michael Gordon, who uh, co-authored with Judith Miller, the WMD's article in The New York Times, which is so influential in uh, facilitating the U.S. invasion of Iraq, then best believe I'm going to use the word conspiratorial to talk about something like lab leak theory, which comes out of the establishment. So I don't want anyone coming after me and saying, oh, you're lambasting those who are critical of the government, etc. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm actually saying that lab leak theory is an establishment conspiracy theory. And there are a lot of those WMDs, Russiagate, virtually anything that is said about countries that the United States doesn't like. Havana syndrome, right? I mean, all of these are conspiracy theories that help not only explain away the injustices and the destructive war crimes of United States imperialism, but they also create the justification for war. And so I am always going to call theories like lab leak theory, conspiracy theory, because they lead exactly to that. They lead to a scenario where there is a major confrontation between imperialist powers in China. And I'm not interested in that. And so, you know, I see a lot of people coming in and I want to, you know, just remind that Joshua Cho is coming on in about a couple minutes. I'm just waiting for him, waiting for him to come on. We're going to have a conversation for about 45 minutes or so on his two articles. I'll pull them up on the screen when he comes. Um, and yeah, I'm about to do this more on a full-time basis. Uh, and it's a very exciting time for me. Um, you know, I'll be making a new welcome video for my Patreon. I'll be announcing uh, international transmission, trying to work with more folks globally here in the United States and the West, trying to develop, uh, an anti-imperialist socialist oriented independent media uh, which can be an intervention into this independent media space, which is honestly, I think, a, a, a little bit, oops, sorry about that, a little bit confused now because, uh, well, let's be honest, with the whole Bernie Sanders and AOC and the squad and all of these forces on the so-called progressive left flailing about, a lot of those who put a lot of time and investment into those forces, into the so-called social democratic left-ish wing of the Democratic Party, I noticed that there is a lot of confusion and where do we go and, and, and a lot of opportunities for both moving uh, things forward in the independent media space, but also a lot of challenges in the sense that look at where we are right now. We're here talking about lab leak theory and a lot of people who call themselves progressives have covered lab leak theory in not such a good manner. They've, they've covered it in a manner that actually just reinforces this narrative that, uh, you know, the wall street journal, Michael, R. Michael R. Gordon are, are credible sources. Right. And that's a huge mistake and an immense mistake. And so I'm here to try to offer an alternative voice and to work with others to help make that happen because anti-imperialism really is the central question 
of our generation. So please do support me. You can do that. Of course, like this video, share this video, subscribe to the left lens, subscribe, 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 uh, and like, 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 especially. And also, you know, if you can sustain me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Danny Haifong, that would be incredible um, because I am going to be doing this on a more full-time basis and mainstream media is not hiring me, guys, just to let you know. So I can stop rambling about lab leak theory now, uh, about the politics of it, because our guest is actually here. Um, and he said he was having some connection issues. So if we have to work through that, apologies. We're, we'll do the best that we can. But he is here now, and I'm going to put him on. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks to, thanks to be here. Hey, good to be with you. So again, Joshua, uh, do you like like Josh better? Yeah, I like Josh better, but it's okay if you call me Joshua. It's not a big deal. All right. Well, Mr. Cho, you uh, you wrote two incredible articles on Mint Press News. Uh, you've been a journalist for a while. Do you want to just talk about who you are and maybe a little bit about what got you into writing about lab leak theory, which is something that I think has caused a, immense confusion among both the general population, and, which most people subscribe to it in the United States in particular, but especially our friends in the progressive and left movement. So can you talk about what got you interested in, in talking about this? Yeah, so I've been writing about uh, media criticism for about since 2019, but I think I mainly started writing about China in 2020 because of the pandemic. Uh, I've actually been meaning to write about the subject earlier just because it's an interesting subject. But uh, I think I there was no real stressing need for me at the time before the pandemic to write about it. But now that I did, the, that's when the whole thing started. But um, at first, I didn't really take the lab leak theory too seriously because I know that it was spreading around uh, early 2020 because like, in literally every pandemic or epidemic situation, there's always going to be like a few conspiracy theorists. That's just what people who have followed these things for a while have noted. Like it just happens in every single epidemic. It doesn't matter how realistic it is. There's always people who think that. But um, I think just because I find it silly doesn't mean that like it's not worth talking about because if enough people believe it, then you have to address it, even if you think it's a little beneath you at times. But um. So yeah, like I felt like there were many spread, there are many claims being spread around. Like that would just, I was just kind of flabbergasted because like people just accepted them at face value without doing any like fact checking. And I wasn't aware of anyone else doing it. And I'm not really a science journalist. This was literally my first attempt at doing anything like science journalism. But um, I, I gotta, I gotta really applaud you for that because when I was reading it, I, you know, there are some things I had to read over again because there was a lot, there's just a lot about the science of this issue, which understandably is just, is just difficult to comprehend. Yes, yeah. it's too technical and it, and it lends itself for, I think, the vulnerability of being taken by a narrative that is not technical at all. It is entirely political, which we'll get into mm -hmm. in the lab leak theory. And for them to be and for them to be pulled into this, especially I was talking earlier about the infodemic, right? Like there's been an infodemic yep. in the United States and the West where we do not we do not get good information about about COVID-19. We don't have a public health infrastructure which is allowing for that. So I want to transition and let's talk about your first 
article of this two-part series that you wrote. Um, I don't know if you have any more. I don't think you have any more parts, right? <laughs> Coming no, no. Up, but <laughs> those two are the main main claims. So I felt like I I should address those two in particular, and I did it in right. many thousands of words. I didn't really want to do that, but that's kind of what it takes to sufficiently debunk yeah. these things. Totally. So, you know, I don't want you to go word for word because you yeah. said a lot, but the first article here, right? How the U.S. media misrepresents the Wuhan Institute of Virology's laboratory and safety protocols. So I just want you to review for us, and this was published September 15th. So recently, uh, I want you to review for viewers what what argument were you making? Uh, what evidence, some of the evidence behind it? And uh, what were you trying to address here? So one of the, the first article was dedicated specifically to the claim that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was operating under subpar safety standards. And the main, the main popular argument among lab league theorists for this, for this claim is that uh, if Chinese scientists were lying about not having SARS-CoV-2, and that's a very big if. There's actually no evidence for it, but um, if they were lying, um, they were more prone to have a lab accident just because their safety standards were so poor. So that's that was the main claim that I wanted to address. And uh, the argument was that uh, some um, there were so many different arguments. They're not they're not even contradictory or coherent. But like the first one was that like. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has a BSL-4 lab, and that's an, that's inherently suspicious, and that's evidence of China's alleged biowarfare program. <laughs> and um, the second argument was that uh, um, China was doing uh, bat virus experiments at the BSL-2. BSL-2 or BSL-2 is short for biosafety level two, and that's considered subpar or um, insufficient for some experiments, which is somewhat debatable. We, we can get into that later. But um, the argument was that since they were doing it there, like a virus could have escaped from BSL-2. And um, yeah, so that those were the arguments that I wanted to address. Do you want me to address like the counterpoints I made? Yeah, sure. Please get into what makes all of this uh, a bit nonsensical to be to be uh i guess uh, to to kind of understate it okay well um the first argument that a bsl4 lab is just inherently suspicious is uh i think sam husseini was the one who was one of the first people who talked about that like he was like he asked to re he asked like some government u.s government official like oh like is it just a coincidence that it showed up in the near where Wuhan has its uh, BSL-4 laboratory and like, cause that's where you handle like the most dangerous viruses like Ebola and smallpox. And he thought that like, um, because researchers researched those kinds of viruses in BSL-4, it therefore could have escaped from BSL-4. And other people cite that argument, but the reason why that's silly is because um, I'm not, I don't think this is his only source, but uh, one of Sam Husseini's main sources in that article was uh, Francis Boyle. Um, I don't know. I don't know if listeners know who that is, but he wrote uh, the main biowarfare law in 1989 for the U.S. Um, he's a lawyer. He's not a virologist. He's not a biologist. He has no science background, but he wrote the relevant law, and that's kind of why Husseini thinks we should take him seriously. But if you look into Francis Boyle, um, you'll realize that like he's literally like not fully here, like. <laughs> He says things that like um, 
something about like the virus SARS-CoV-2 being taken from Canada or Saudi Arabia or something like that. And then like it was stolen. And then he said that the who was in on it. And like he, Husseini said that like it was unfair. It kind of implied that like it was unfair for the media to blackball him and just ignore him because he's a conspiracy theorist. But like that's literally what he is. Like any sane person would just ignore Francis Boyle because he has no science background. He's just spouting like ridiculous origin scenarios. Like, come on, man. Canada and Saudi Arabia stole coronavirus and then somehow it got to China. Like, come on, dude. But, um, and the who was in on it? You think they, I don't know. That's just so absurd. But, um, anyway, but the main argument I want to note is, is that, uh, coronavirus researchers around the world don't study coronavirus at BSL4. So, like, and Shi Zhengli herself and people at the Wuhan Institute of Virology have stated that uh, they do coronavirus research at BSL 2 and 3, which is exactly the standard everywhere else across the world. So even if BS Wuhan's, the Wuhan Institute of Virology's BSL 4, um, BSL 4 facility was doing biowarfare research, just, it just has no relevance to the COVID-19 pandemic because researchers don't study that there. That's kind of a yeah. lot to take in. Do you want me to continue? Yeah, no, no, we can, we can, let's, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's, um, let me ask you about this. Cause you did write this, I think in, in this piece, I don't know if it was in the second or the first piece, but you talk about, uh, and you, you talk to, uh, virologists, scientists about this, about this misunderstanding that studying coronaviruses in a lab, like, WIV could necessarily mean that they were start studying SARS-CoV-2. Could you talk about how that uh, you did outline this in your pieces? How that's just not true. How that how that that how that's literally just speculation, which is what lab leak theory is a hundred percent entirely. It's all just speculation. But could you talk about that in particular? This idea that studying coronaviruses is in and of itself dangerous. Oh, like, no, like people study coronaviruses around the world. Like, what are, what are people talking about? And, if, and of course, it's natural for the one because SARS-CoV-1 released Like, what would you want them to do? Like, you want America to do it or some place that didn't have the outbreak do it? Like, people, scientists study the viruses that occur in nature, that, that occur naturally around them. It makes perfect sense to specialize in the viruses that occur near to you to do that. But, um... For, but like, like uh, we're having the intercept. Sorry, Josh. Is like, we're having some connection issues. Sorry, Josh. Um, how are you doing? Hold on. Let's just stop you for a second. Uh, all right. Uh, speak now. Let me see. You, uh, just if you could just talk, for, just say anything, because I, I heard some. Your mic was cutting out and freezing a bit. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Is it better now? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Sorry. Could you um, restate that? I don't know if it's because sometimes are you just using your computer? Yeah, I'm just using my computer. I, I don't really do too much of these interviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there might be a way. Mm, I don't know how it works on StreamYard. Um, if you go to your cam mic section and you go to the audio, do you see where that is? Um, you want to unclick automatically adjust the mic volume and that might help uh where do i if click that uh there's Is that a little... the top of my mac mm, it no it should be in, in the stream yard where you see like 
um, you know, on the StreamYard page. If you go to Cam Mike, that little uh, little yes. tool, yeah, hit that, hit audio, and then okay. um, and then hit. I, clicked, uh, I, I I unchecked that box. Is it better now? I hope hopefully it will be better. But yes, continue. Sorry, sorry everybody about that. I mean, this this stuff happens, so no worries. Where did I get cut off? Um, I think you got caught off almost immediately after you talk about you. You were talking about how coronavirus, um, you know, how it makes a lot of sense for China, especially in Wuhan, this international hub to study coronaviruses because of the SARS experience. And then I think you started to get cut off after that. Uh, okay. Well, um, I remember... I think I remember laughing at the Intercept's latest reporting throughout September. Um, they supposedly found these uh, FOIA documents that supposedly show that uh, they were doing dangerous research. But um, like if you look at what if you look at what virologists who have been studying coronaviruses actually said or their opinion, their interpretation of the documents, like for example, Dr. Stephen Goldstein, who was one of the scientists I interviewed for my articles, um. He said that he stated that the intercept documents are actually evidence against the lab leak because uh, it confirmed what the Eco Health Alliance and what the Wuhan Institute of Virology were saying all along that they were only studying SARS 1 like coronaviruses. They were not studying viruses related to SARS CoV 2 because there was no real reason to, because there was no pandemic before then. So why would they study that? I'm like, that's just like common sense. Like, come on. But, um, like, but then these scientists, like, not, but these journalists, like, they like, they find these documents, they, they want people to read them. They want to make people think it's like a really sexy read and like they have to spice it up a little bit. So like they just try to like use a lot of innuendo to make it seem as if these documents told us new information. But another scientist I talked to, uh, microbiologist Stanley Perlman, he told me that the intercepts reporting contained basically no new information. But like how many people how many how many people in the general readership would know something like that you would have to be following this debate for a long time to like recognize that like these documents don't actually tell you anything new in fact they actually confirmed that the eco health alliance and chinese scientists were telling the truth that uh they were only studying sars one like viruses but like i want to i want to make another point though like if foia documents and leaked documents like that eco health alliance darpa proposal if leaked and FOIA documents confirmed that they've only been studying CoV-1 and these proposals from like what like 2018 and 2019 do you think people are going to find new evidence that they were studying SARS-CoV-2 probably not like you're probably not going to find anything new and um yeah sorry I, yeah. I might have gotten a little lost over there <laughs> <laughs> no 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 it's, it's fine it's fine you got into some things in your second article uh but um yeah, let's 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 um, let's rewind a bit back to your first article because um, I want you to talk about the sources for lab leak theory that you were responding to, in particular Josh Rogan, uh, but others who have made this claim. You mentioned Sam Husseini. Uh, talk about maybe if you could talk about the the contrast between the sources that you use and the sources that those who have championed this lab leak theory are using, because I think it's important to differentiate between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Thank you for reminding me. Like there, I wrote so many thousands of words. It's hard to remember everything that I wrote, even for different, no, that's fine. You don't articles. have to. Just yeah, just so please. Yeah. Anything, any summary that you can give is great. Uh, so Josh Rogan, like the originator of these unsafe lab leak conditions, actually started from Josh Rogan in April 2020, and he used a State Department cable that he had. He he literally cited two paragraphs that did not say what he said. It he he claimed it said. <laughs> they were just talking about like. How they, how the Wuhan Institute of Virology staff wanted um, more experienced staff that could handle viruses safely. That they did not say that like they were doing dangerous experiments in unsafe conditions. They did not say it. Okay, like the grant proposal actually, like the State Department cable that he cited actually stated that they need more money, and that the U.S. government should give them more money, which actually wasn't given. But the point was not that they were doing unsafe experiments. Because if they, if the U.S. diplomats who visited the Wuhan Institute of Virology, who wrote that cable, or was part of writing that cable, actually thought that they were doing unsafe experiments, they would not ask for more money to give to them. They would ask for less money or not to give them any money. But um, like it's hard for non-scientists to interpret these kinds of documents. Like you need people who have expertise. And one, I think it's hard for people who are not on Twitter to understand this, but like one virologist, uh, Dr. Angela Rasmussen has like very excellent Twitter commentary. And she commented on this. She said, wait, this doesn't take Josh Rogan says it does. Like, it just means that they wanted more experienced staff, which is not a problem unique to China. It's a problem that happens all around the world, like in places outside China, like Australia, for example, like every staff wants like more professional, more experienced staff to handle dangerous viruses. Um, but, um, yeah. And like when the full cable was released, like it confirmed Dr. Rasmussen's skepticism about like Josh Rogan claiming what Josh Rogan claimed it meant. And it's, what's funny is that like when Josh Rogan published that column, he was actually challenged on Twitter saying, Hey, I don't, I don't believe your bullshit. This is, this is not what it says. And he refused to release the cable to confirm like people were basically calling him out. They were saying like, "Oh, this you're lying. This is not. This is not what. This is not how. This is not how you interpret it." And Josh Rogan had the opportunity to release the whole cable to confirm what he was saying, but he refused to do that. So I kind of think he knew he was lying. But um, and anyways, the full. Hmm. Uh, sorry, Josh. You're cutting in and out again. Uh. uh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Is that a good? <laughs> um i don't know is as everyone else i'm just gonna check the chat is everyone else uh experiencing this issue um <laughs> okay so you're back you're not frozen anymore so hopefully that means you're you won't get cut off again but yeah um continue continue where, where was i getting cut off uh, what was it getting you were off? getting, um, okay. So yes, uh, people are experiencing the issue. Yeah. Uh, you were getting cut off. Uh, it was hard because it was uh, at uh, start from the beginning, maybe because there was a lot of, it was hard to, to, to get your point. Cause it was cutting into like meaty, meaty parts. Um, uh, okay. So yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so maybe just rebegin again. That's fine. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Uh, my laptop has uh, okay. spotty issues sometimes, but um, anyways, um, so Josh Rogan, this this whole unsafe laboratory claim started around April 2020 when Josh Rogan published an opinion column citing 
a redacted State Department cable. He only cited two paragraphs mm. on it, but it didn't say what he claimed it said. He claimed it said that they were doing, un they were just there were in the constitutional in unsafe conditions. But uh, what they were actually saying was that they wanted more experienced staff to handle dangerous viruses and that right. more money because if they were doing if they were really doing it in safe ask for more money they would they would ask to cut off money that that's the more logical conclusion but um dr rasmussen angela rasmussen on twitter um basically stated that what i just said that all, they were just talking about the importance of their research and why they should get more money and uh when the when the full when the full state department people was released by the post in july 2020 it basically confirmed what she was saying and people at the time in April 2020, when the opinion column was first published, um, they were challenging Josh Rogan's interpretation of those cables or presentation of it. And Rogan had the opportunity to debunk them, but he didn't actually uh, release the full cable when he had the opportunity to, which is a good sign he's lying. So the first part. Um, but do you, want to go, do you want me to go into Nicholas Wade a little bit? Yes, please, actually, because he has been, as, as you know, he has been the foremost uh, scientist that, or, or so-called scientist at this he's point. He's not a scientist. He's a science writer. Yeah, science writer, uh, who, exactly, who, uh, <laughs> who's been legitimized, uh, but who has legitimized this narrative, and uh, people use him as an example of why this theory has credibility. So, yes, please, Nicholas Wade, go. Um, okay, so I think Nicholas Wade, I'll admit that if you don't have a science background, he's he might be convincing to people, or if you don't, if you have not researched this topic carefully, he might be convincing because he uses very technical sounding words and he says things very confidently. But and I think people who mistake uh, verbosity for accuracy uh, may be a little dupe, may be a little fooled by him. But basic, but people should know that uh, he's a discredited science writer and. I think over a hundred scientists once wrote a letter denouncing him for misrepresenting their research because he wrote a race science book. I, I forgot the full claims. I haven't actually read the book because I, I think it would be a waste of my time to do that. But I'm just letting you know that, like, <laughs> I'm just letting people know that he has a history of misrepresenting a lot of scientists on this matter. But anyways, um, one of the claims he makes is that, like, uh, he he actually cites Josh Rogan's column like a dupe, like. He just makes two completely contradictory arguments. First, he says, because um, Josh Rogan's column was about the BSL-4 facility at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And he says, he cites that the unsafe working conditions at BSL-4, which again, have no relevance because they don't study coronavirus at BSL-4. Um, like he stated that like they were working in dangerous conditions in BSL-2, which he's, and Nicholas Wade actually cites a, a scientist who is not a virologist or someone who's an expert on coronaviruses, Richard Ebright, he cites a ridiculous claim by him that like a BSL-2 uh, level facility for studying coronaviruses is basically a dentist's office, which is just patently false. You can look up any YouTube video of a biosafety cabinet. Oh, no. Uh, sorry, you're getting cut off at, at this part where you're talking about BSL, um, how BSL two is not a dentist's office, and Nicholas, as Nicholas Wade claimed. Um, now I think we've lost you. 
Um, okay. Well, if you can hear me, Josh. Oh, sorry. If you can hear me, so, uh, people have been suggesting, and I've heard this suggested before. If you wanted to try to go audio only, I don't know if you're if you're comfortable with that. Um, that's something you could do as well to try to enhance the connection. Um, which just means you would go to that same tool and turn off your webcam. Where you where you where you were uh, fixing the audio, there's a section in the settings camera, and then you just would turn off your your camera. Uh, turn off start cam, or do I turn? Um. Uh, so you yeah, there you go. You've turned it off now. So people, there's you know, uh, we'll have to do without. Uh, your handsome face, but that's okay. Um, see, see how this. Let's see how this works. Let's see how this works. Is it better? Your back. Your audio is back. So, let's continue. You were talking. You were just about to follow up on the uh, right after you said it's patently false to make the claim that BSL two uh, is equivalent to a dentist's office in terms of safety standards. Oh, right. So anyways, um, you could just look up any YouTube video to confirm for yourself that that's not true. Uh, Dan, wait, Dan, are, are you, can you hear me now? I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, okay. Um, your voice was actually cutting off for me. Oh, um, okay. sorry about that. Okay. Um, yep. Okay. Well, um, I think you're back to normal now, but, um, anyways, Nicholas, Nicholas Wade, he makes a contradictory argument about that, and um, he actually says BSL-2 is very unsafe, but um, he actually provides two sources in his own article that contradict what he says about BSL-2 uh, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology's uh, safety standards were subpar. He, he contradicts himself with two different sources. Like one, one was a nature study that was whose main author was Christian Anderson, a bunch of study published in March 2020 that talked about how any lab leak scenario is uh, basically implausible and that there's no evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 engineered or in any way. Um, and the second, and he actually stated that the reason okay, the, um, the lab scenario should be studied or rejected is because uh, coronavirus labs around the world were studying coronaviruses at BSL-2. And so that's one source there. But he doesn't really mention that, even though he cites it. And the second source is a science interview with Shi Zheng Li. Um, Dr. Shi Zheng Li, for people who don't know who she is, she's one of the Wuhan, she's basically the Wuhan Institute of Virology's uh, most famous scientist. And her she made really important scientific contributions like uh, with SARS-CoV-1. He, he, quotes, he quotes the interview out of context, like he's, he just quotes Dr. Shi Zheng Li's and, oh yeah, we do coronavirus research at BSL-2 and BSD. But then when you read the actual interview, um, the interviewer takes it for granted that most coronavirus researchers researchers do coronavirus research at BSL-2 and 3, meaning there's nothing unusual about um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology doing that as well. But just to corroborate that even further, I actually asked other, other coronavirus researchers the same question, like Dr. Stanley Perlman and Dr. Stephen Goldstein, and they both confirmed that there's nothing unusual about them doing that. So there's nothing subpar about doing that. Right, right. Yeah. Did you get all that? Yeah. Yes. 
definitely did get all that. Um, it's, you know, you're sounding good. So that's great. And, and you're making great points. So, you know, let's, let's talk about something that I think is very important that you that you discuss. Um, because as much as we could dunk on Nicholas Wade, you make some really good points. And I'm going to share your second article um, on the screen here. And so I want to spend about five or 10 more minutes on some of these points that you made in your articles, and then we can finish up for about 10 minutes talking about some, what is the political significance of that? Because I know there's a lot of, there's a, there's a huge significance to, uh, to doing this kind of work that you're doing. Um, so hold on one second as I share the screen. Um, okay. So the smoking gun, the smoking gun, Josh, gain of function research. All right. This is this is being promoted everywhere from the left to the right as being the smoking gun for lab leak theory that scientists at WIV and related institutions, although yeah, WIV you. is. Oh, sorry about that. Can everyone else hear me? Um, it may. Unfortunately, it may be your connection i'm not getting anyone who's saying they can't hear me let me let me actually um can you hear me now yes there might be a lag i i i can tell that there's a little bit of a lag um between what i say and you hearing it oh okay yeah so sorry about that so um, yeah, the smoking gun, Josh, uh, there are scientists at WIV who are studying, who are enhancing coronavirus and leaving the world at risk of a pandemic. Talk about what you found out about gain of function research and why this is a ridiculous claim as you make it, as you argue in your article, um, about, uh, lab leak gain of function and the media myths swirling around the Wuhan Institute of Virology. J just talk about gain of function research, if you will, and, and why it's it's wrong to to latch on to this and claim that this is proof that lab leak theory is at least credible enough to investigate. Okay. Um, what what is gain of I function? I spent so much time first? on this. <laughs> Okay, so gain-of-function research, as currently defined by the U.S. government, is research that is reasonably anticipated to enhance the virulence or transmissibility of viruses in humans. And it's very important to stress in humans. But um, let me explain what virulence and transmissibility is before for audiences who, who might not know. So virulence refers to the degree of disease caused by a virus. So, for example, just because you're infected by a virus doesn't mean you're, you have a disease with any symptoms. So, for example, with COVID-19, um, you could be infected with SARS-CoV-2 and not have the disease COVID-19 because there are many asymptomatic cases of COVID-19. So asymptomatic means you have no symptoms. And uh, so virulence refers to the degree of disease caused by a virus. So, for example, a common cold is not very virulent, but Ebola is very virulent where you might actually die if you get the disease. But um, transmissibility refers to uh, how easily a virus spreads from person to person. 
So for example, a low transmissibility virus might be like MERS, which has limited human to human transmission, which means that you primarily get it from animals, but you're not likely to start a pandemic because the virus doesn't spread very easily between people. But, um, and infectivity, I should probably clarify what that means. Infectivity refers to uh, a virus to enter a host cell and um, replicate inside. I'm, I'm probably messing that up a little bit because it is very technical, but let's just, the important thing to stress is that infectivity and transmissibility are not the same thing. And um, what is it? Yeah, so the gain of function research to reiterate is a research that is reasonably anticipated to enhance the transmissibility or virulence of viruses in humans. That's how it's currently defined. Uh, but people may be confused about gain of function because there's many different definitions. And uh, unfortunately, I remember one of my sources, Dr. Stanley Perlman, telling me that you could get, you could potentially get just based on who you ask. And that's why this is unnecessarily confusing, unfortunately. But um, the reason I use this definition is because this is how the U.S. government currently defines it. And the U.S. government currently defines it this way after years of deliberating on the risks or benefits of gain-of-function research. And it's a very broad term. And um, many things that gain-of-function are not really uh, necessarily bad. And a lot of gen genetic modifications to viruses don't really pose any threat or, um, or a lot of genetic modifications in general don't necessarily pose any threat, though some do, obviously. But um, the reason why... So some people have proposed changing the name gain of function because gain of function can be like can range from very innocuous like for example um if a virus becomes more virulent in mice but it becomes less virulent in humans that does would that worry humans no it wouldn't like because mice and humans are very different species but um that would still technically count as a gain of function um among like the 2014 definition by the u.s government which defines it as reasonably anticipated enhanced virulence and transmissibility in mammals. And that's a very key difference because mammals is a much wider category than just humans. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, oh, for example, like if you, if you genetically modify something that would, that would, that would make a gain the function to attack cancer cells, would you be worried about that? No, you would want that to happen. Like that's a good thing. So to just because it's something gains of function doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But this is how it's currently defined by the U.S. government. I should probably stop talking before and let you can ask more precise questions. Well, I, I think also what your what your analysis there also alludes to is the fact that there is it's in clarify if I'm wrong. Please uh, correct me, Josh, if I'm wrong. But it is impossible to create a virus like SARS-CoV-2 using whatever level of research, whatever you want, the gain of function, et cetera, to create SARS-CoV-2 from the coronaviruses and the, and the various things that are being studied at WIV, that there's only one virus, and you mention it in your articles, if you could, it's like RA, could, if you could clarify what that is. RATG13. RATG, that's the closest known virus to COVID-19, but it's, but if you know anything about viruses, and I want you to clarify then you know that it's still uh, the the genome is still pretty far, and that makes it very unlikely that any kind of lab experiment could produce something like like SARS-CoV-2. So, could you clarify that 
And then also I want you to address the claim, if you keep this in the back of your head, uh, about uh, WIV, that U.S. funding in the United States were in there nefariously doing this research behind the Chinese government's back. Could you could you address that after you address the uh, uh, the previous comment I made, please? <laughs> sure. That's I, I've been talking for a while, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. But um, that's okay. I think one thing when whenever I hear someone say that like gain of function research could have created SARS-CoV-2, like like whenever I hear that, I just immediately think they don't know what they're talking about. And they don't know um, the limitations of current modern science. Like science is very impressive, but like, so for example, um, RATG13, that previously was the closest virus to SARS-CoV-2, but in September, French and Laotian scientists actually found um, right. in bats a closer virus to SARS-CoV-2 than RATG13. But um, so it, it previously was, but let me just talk about RATG13. Um, RATG13 has a 96% genome match with SARS-CoV-2. So around 96% of it is the same, but um the 4% nucleotide difference is cuz genomes has a lot of have a lot of nucleotides and even with the 4% difference there's over 1000 nucleotide differences and it's not just located in specific sections, it's located throughout the entire genome. Like raisins in a pudding might be a good analogy for that. Um so you you can't so chimeric viruses like it's like when you uh take parts of a virus and just mix and match sections of the virus not not like um changing every individual piece of it you're just cutting and pasting like entire sections like cutting paragraphs of an essay for example but um scientists have told me that you would need a virus of at least a 99% genetic match um or some scientists actually say that you might actually need a 99.9% genetic match. And that is not any, anywhere close to any known virus that we have. So um, it's because that no known virus, you cannot, you, you cannot create SARS-CoV-2 from any known virus because of that fact. Some, some people are actually saying, like Richard Ebright, he's saying that um, WIV scientists might have an undisclosed virus. <laughs> So like, yeah, like he has no evidence. He has to further speculate that they have an undisclosed virus that they're not showing anyone that nobody has ever known before the pandemic, even though Wuhan Institute of Virology scientists are known for sharing, collaborating with foreign scientists and sharing their data. Like that's actually the purpose behind, one of the main purposes behind it. They're meant to share data. And like, why would they hide it before the pandemic? Because before the pandemic, how would you know who would start one? Like, so if they had it, they would have shared it. And Dr. Shizen Lee actually has a track record of sharing viruses with other scientists around the world when they publish data on it. But um, in any case, you need a 90, you need at least a 99% genetic match, if not as high as 99.9%. So whenever someone tells me you can create gain of you can create SARS-CoV-2 with something like RATG13, which has a 96% match and which was previously the closest until last month, um, they just don't know what they're talking about. That is not that you can't do that. And um, sorry, I I lost what you said to keep in the back of my head. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. The, that that that's all very important. Uh, what you raised. So yes, in the back of your head, I asked if you could keep this point that people who are trying to embrace lab leak theory but uh, try to avoid the inherent xenophobia to it. It's a it's kind of a mental gymnastics, if you will. 
if you could address this point made that the United States, because the United States had provided funding to the WIV for some of its research, that the United States could have been in the background uh, doing these experiments uh, behind the Chinese government's back, essentially. Um, I think you mean the reverse, because I haven't really heard too many people saying um, the U.S. was doing research behind China's back. The accusation is more that China was doing it behind the U.S.'s back. I think that's what you meant to say. But um, uh, Yeah, well, what I meant to say was that there have there are cl- people, you know, there are some folks who want to avoid the xenophobia, but you can't avoid it, but they want to avoid it. So what they say is that U.S. funding for and U.S. involvement in WIV could very well have led to a lab leak because there might have been activities going on there that the Chinese government was not aware of. And now everybody is trying to cover their tracks. Uh, I don't know if you want to just address that from your analysis and your opinion, but I do think that the, even followers of mine, I've seen it, who've asked me, hey, what do you think about this? And, and I do think that uh, because lab leak is all about speculation, that's another speculation, but maybe just address these kind of speculations uh, about lab leak theory. Because w- let's move into the last, we got about five or 10 minutes or so. If you could address that and then address uh, in, maybe in the broader context of why it's so politically significant to talk about lab leak theory now and uh yeah so uh, yeah what, what is the significance of this so to answer your questions in reverse order the significance of this is that uh, apparently uh there was a poll by harvard political i believe in july stating that uh around more than half of americans actually believe the lab leak theory now and there was another poll i think it was by the hill Showing that showing that 83% of Americans support taking some kind of action against China if U.S. intelligence agencies claim or provide evidence that um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology that the that the virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and that's very dangerous because, like, technically, there's really nothing stopping U.S. intelligence agencies from saying from saying stuff that oh, like oh yeah, it came from the it came from the lab. The U.S. intelligence review actually concluded that it did not come from a lab, but they, of course, did the whole hedging thing. Oh, then China's not being transparent. Therefore, it's possible. But um, as we just discussed earlier, like you cannot create SARS-CoV-2 from RATG13 because the d- genetic distance, even from 96% to 99%, is just too big. But um, what is it? Uh, so there's a, lot, there's, there's a lot of controversy over Anthony Fauci. I think that was a very politicized yes. public spectacle between uh, Anthony Fauci and Rand Paul. Um, Rand Paul is a very, uh, he's not known to be a very honest figure and he's said some very questionable scientific thing. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a climate denier. I haven't checked on that, but he might be. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of the Republican party is full of climate deniers, but anyways, um, he, uh, he, in, in May, when they were talking, he asked if like they were who wants to virology was creating super viruses with funding from the US, the NIH, and uh, Fauci denied it. And in July 2020, um, he cited a different 2017 paper saying that, uh, basically saying that Anthony Fauci was lying and that um, the NIH was funding gain of function research there. But again, the, the first thing to know is that even if they were doing it, 
with there's no proof of that but even if they were it's not possible to create it anyways but second um the experiments he was talking about the first one was a 2015 uh experiment done in north carolina not china so even if that was gain of function it happened in north carolina not china china like they just provided the genetic sequence to dr ralph barrick but anyways um that's even that's not gain of function because um the viruses didn't become any better at infecting people, the chimeric viruses. And SARS-CoV-2 is not a chimeric virus. Um, so, And they also use pseudoviruses that can't really replicate as easily, and they can't really start pandemics. So that first that first confrontation between Fauci and uh, Rand Paul in May, 2020, May 2021 um, is just irrelevant because it's not a chimeric virus. There was no gain of function there. The NIH found that it was not gain of function. And people like Sam Husseini are misrepresenting that as as it is as an exemption as an exemption, but it's actually was not gain of function. But the second one in twenty in July twenty twenty one, he cited a twenty seventeen paper, um, by the published by the Wuhan Institute of Virology, I believe, and uh, that was also not gain of function because the viruses were already capable of infecting human cells, and they didn't become any better at doing that. So that's retained function. That's not gain of function, and. Um, so yeah, like, but it's a point to note that like everyone involved in the, in the funding NIH argument is that the NIH, Dr. Shi Zheng Li, and Dr. Danielle Anderson, and the EcoHealth Alliance, the people directly involved, every single one of them deny that it was gain of function. They explained why it was not gain of function. So, and you don't really need to take their word for it. I explained in the, in the article, the science behind it, why it's not gain of function in more detail. So you don't have to believe Anthony Fauci. You could just trust the science and get into that. But uh, and the short point of it is in both instances, Rand Paul is lying and he doesn't know what he's talking about. They're not super viruses. Um, Dr. Shi Zheng Li was not trying to make viruses more infectious. He was trying to find out how infectious they already were, which is a very huge difference. Um, so I think we could leave it there. For sure, for sure. Well, let's close out on this then because... The overall narrative of lab leak theory, you know, there are two uh, two speculations that are most dominant, right? It's that there was a bioweapon being produced uh, in WIV and it was released out and this was uh, intentional. That's the, like the farthest right-wing argument. This, the Communist Party of China did this on purpose because they're just super evil and bad, right? And I think most people understand that that's ridiculous, although as the polls you you cited suggest there uh, there's a huge base of people in the United States and many more in the Western world who likely subscribe to that. Uh, and, and they're probably not going to be won over to our arguments. But then there's this other explanation that I think is honestly equally as racist in that it suggests that China is so incompetent in its capacity to do this kind of research that there was an accident that w- that was that happened. That China then covered up. So I think uh, if you could close on sort of the xenophobic, anti-China character of lab leak theory, and just talk about, you know, if you could, why it's important to drop this uh, nonsensical and uh, evidence-free conspiracy. Uh, we need to drop. We we need to focus on other things, but could you talk about the xenophobic element of all of this? So let's just close on that. 
So let me answer in reverse order. The first, the first reason why uh, it's important to drop this lab leak theory is that um, members, a lot of scientists on the WHO team that went to China, they stated that there's not much time left to find um, the animal where where most likely came from, because um, mm. um, it's it's already like a needle in a haystack. Even if you started as soon as early as you can, but with things have delaying as much as it has, um, there's not much time left. And if you, the more you delay and Scientists are claim the scientists are claiming that uh, the U.S. backing of the lab leak theory is what's driving China to like not be cooperative with the investigation. Um, I think one could argue that it's not the right thing for China to do, but at, at the same time, it's a very understandable human reaction not to let hostile powers investigate you with false accusations. So um, it's understandable, even if not everyone may agree with it. But um, so that's the first reason why. Uh, you should we should drop it, but the racist element is that um, the, the idea that's a bioweapon is just so silly because there are there are much deadlier viruses than uh, SARS-CoV-2. There's like the Marburg virus, there's Ebola, there's smallpox, and if you wanted to make a virus more infectious, you could insert. There's talk about furin cleavage site in SARS-CoV-2, but there are much more effective furin cleavage sites found in other human coronaviruses. Why would you use RATG13 as the backbone when SARS-CoV-1 is actually deadlier than SARS-CoV-2? It's just a stupid argument. It's it's just silly. You could just ignore that. But um, the other <laughs> argument that uh, the other argument that um, what is it that uh, scientists accidentally leaked the lab? Um, well, I mean it's not inherently far-fetched because there have been um, previous accidents, but like Sam Husseini has documented a lot of them, but there, there are a few things that uh, we should talk about because um, although there have been lab leak incidents before, this is very different from that because one, the majority of known cases, the earliest known cases of SARS-CoV-2 and excess pneumonia deaths, which are less likely to fudge, um, happened near the Huanan market in Wuhan, not near the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So just because it happened in Wuhan doesn't mean it started at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There are other it could have originated outside Wuhan too. Um, most scientists I talk to believe that it either started in China or Southeast Asia, but um, they don't really believe that's likely that it started in the US, Brazil, or Spain, or Italy, or France, or anything like that. But they do think that it's possible that it originated outside Wuhan, just because Wuhan's a very urban area and a pandemic typically requires um, a large population for a virus to spread um, so that it could spread more easily instead of like a rural area. But in any case, um, previous lab incidents, the first people who were sick were workers at the lab, not people at a market miles away or near a market miles away. And second, um, a lot of the laboratory releases of infectious viruses happened before we established international standards for BSL three and four, like we have today. And, uh, some of the lab incidents that we know about, like what happened in 2004 and 2008, uh, were because scientists, including Chinese ones, were not interested in covering the lab leaks up. They actually informed people. So and some some scientists have argued that why would Chinese scientists act any differently than before? Because they've revealed lab leaks before. Why would they lie now? And uh, like a lot of the a lot of the lab leak theory depends on rejecting the credibility of Chinese scientists. They're just accusing them of lying without any evidence. And Dr. Shi Zheng Li has denied that they had SARS-CoV-2 in their lab. Um, and there's no evidence to suggest she's lying. So people basically continuing to insist on this is basically tantamount to accusing them of lying. 
without any evidence, which is just pretty ridiculous. You can't you can't just accuse people of lying just because you don't like them. And um, about transparency, uh, there was actually um, a study I believe that was released in June of 2021 by Chinese scientists, and they revealed that the Chinese government was lying about illegal wildlife not being sold at the Huanan market. And one thing people should know is that SARS-CoV-2 is a generalist virus. So what that means is that SARS-CoV-2 can infect other anim- a lot of other animal species besides just humans. And, they were ca- and SARS-CoV-2 is capable of infecting animal species that were illegally sold at the Huanan market. And the important thing to know is that Chinese scientists released that study. So just because they live in China does not mean that they are unfree to publish information that embarrasses the Chinese government. And that's the lying... There is lying by the Chinese government, but it's actually evidence against the lab leak because um, it's a lot of samples at the environmental samples at the Huanan market were found to be contaminated with SARS-CoV-2. And that's a lot of evidence for a natural spillover. And a lot of scientists have been talking about that. So and that's why a lot of the a lot of the ones who even signed that science letter where like 18 scientists signed this letter, like saying that the lab leak theory should be taken more seriously. Some of the signers of that letter have been one of the most fierce defenders of the natural origin theory. They just wanted, I don't know why they would sign some, I don't know why they would do something so stupid as that, but uh, if they don't even believe it, but um, they were arguing that it might've originated from the Huanan market or from wildlife farms in China, because the wildlife trade is very big. You could debate the ethics of that, but um, the point is that there's growing evidence that there's a natural origin and it's just false to say that there isn't. Um, And we could, we could leave it there. There's no proof that they're lying. And Chinese scientists have actually shown independence of the Chinese government. So just because they live in China doesn't mean they're unreliable. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's the xenophobic element to this is that this whole narrative is about in this whole uh, theory is about sowing mistrust in China. And, and I, I think it should come as no surprise that Biden relied on U.S. intelligence to try to verify what had already been a debunked conspiracy theory that started from the far right, from folks like Tom Cotton and, and Mike Pompeo. So uh, thank you, Josh, for, for coming on today. Uh, could you just tell people really quickly uh, where people can find your work? I'm going to stay on um, with, the, with folks after you leave for about 10 more minutes because I have an announcement. But uh, where can people find you, Josh? Um, so I'm a freelancer that mainly writes for fairness and accuracy and reporting. So you could find my work at fair.org, F-A-I-R.org. Um, I've also written for other outlets like Mid Press News. That's where we, where I published my latest articles that we were discussing today. Um, you could also find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, Josh C, as in cat, uh, Josh C0301. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for having me on, Danny. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. It was great. Take take good care. Okay. See you later. Bye. All right. That was a great conversation. I hope that it was informative for you all. Uh, don't leave just yet. I'm going on with Slow News Day. Uh, we have a question in the chat. When am I going on? I'm going on at 11 a.m. Eastern. So I'm going to stay on with you for five or ten more minutes because I do have an announcement. I want everybody who's on here, first of all, to like the channel, to like this video, subscribe to the channel. And also, you know, just remember, I am going to be doing this on a more full-time basis, both my writing 
and this work, podcast work, uh, YouTube work. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to try to get onto Rockfin. I'm going to have more time to explore some more things, but to make it sustainable, I'm asking those to subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. You can always find that in the description and whatever support you can provide is always appreciated. So again, like, like, like this video, make sure it gets boosted so folks can catch up with all the great work that Josh has been doing on this question. Follow him. Uh, but I'm going to share an event with you. If you follow me on social media, you've probably already seen this, uh, but I uh, want you to register uh, for an event that I'm speaking at on Saturday, Friends of Socialist China, which I co-edit um, with two comrades. Um, and I would like uh, for you all to uh, please subscribe to this event so you can go to the Eventbrite. It's not in the description yet. It's all over my social media. Uh, but you can, uh, but I will definitely try to link it at some point. Um, I can actually put this link in the chat if that helps folks. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to put this link in the chat. So bear with me. So register for this event. It'll also be streaming on the YouTube channel. Um, we are going to be talking about the propaganda war on China and this is all about the propaganda war. Lab leak theory is part of the propaganda war on China. The U.S.-led propaganda war, which is part of this larger new Cold War against China. And we're going to have some great speakers, as you can see. We have Chen Weiwa, who has uh, been known for what people call the victims of Chen Weiwa Foundation, his which describe his tweets um, toward U.S. officials and others responding to their lies. And he has become somewhat of a social media sensation. But he's also an incredible journalist. He's at the EU Bureau at the China Daily, and he's been a journalist for quite some time. So he's going to talk about the propaganda war. We have Li Jingjing, who you probably know from her work at CGTN, Daniel Dumbrill on YouTube, myself. We have Ben Norton from The Gray Zone, who will be speaking. Jenny Clegg, who's a, an amazing, incredible anti-war activist, writer, author, academic, Radhika Desai, an amazing uh, professor uh, and, and uh, scholar, and Kenneth Coyle, Michael Wong, uh, two incredible activists, journalists. So you want to catch this event 9 a.m. Eastern time, uh, Saturday, this Saturday, October 9th. I'll be speaking. I have some remarks prepared. Um, I'm going to be trying to take a new a angle or at least talk about, I'm going to be talking about Mr. George Soros in the talk. So you want to be there for that. I know I've talked about that in the past, but um, I'm trying to keep it original because I know a lot of folks will be talking about things like Hong Kong and Xinjiang, which personally I've talked about in a lot in the past. Now I'm kind of sick of it. And I'm also sick of lab leak theory, to be honest with you all. There's some things about this propaganda war it, because it never ends. It's endless. It becomes nauseating. And so I, I try to find other angles to talk about what's really important, which are the roots of this propaganda war, why the U.S. is so hostile towards China. And what is it about China that makes the United States so uncomfortable with the very notion of peace? Uh, we could always argue that the United States could never be comfortable with uh, the principle of peace because it is designed to wage endless war. But there is something about China in particular which makes this hybrid war, this new Cold War, so relevant. So please do, uh, please do register for this. Um, 9 a.m. Eastern time. I know it's early. Uh, I know it's probably earlier for some of you all out in the Pacific, um, 6 a.m. It's very early, but tr try to register, try to be there. You can stream it. It'll be on the YouTube channel, Friends of Socialist China. 
Um, and yeah, so I wanted to announce that with you all. Um, I'm going to stop sharing the screen now. Uh, I did share it in the chat. I will share it again, the Eventbrite. Um, and so just to close... I think that this was a great conversation about lab leak theory. Uh, we talked, uh, I talked a lot about the politics in the beginning. Uh, Josh was very gracious in providing a, a, a summary of what he covered in his articles because he covered a whole lot. And you can read the articles. The links are in the description. Please share them because I think the subject makes pe some people hesitant. Um, and please do like this video. Please do subscribe to the channel. Please, you know, this is a topic that has gotten people taken off because uh, of YouTube and, and, and because of the censorship. So please do um, share, like, um, and hopefully it'll stay on. And that would be great. But again, I, I am going to go now. Thank you all for coming. I'm on Slow News Day at 11 a.m., uh, so you can come on to that, but I need to take a little bit of a break before then. So subscribe to my Patreon if you can. Patreon.com slash Danny Haifong support, support helps sustain independent, socialist, anti-imperialist journalism as always. And uh, I will be with you again uh, very soon, hopefully, as I relaunch Internationalist Transmission. October 12th, we're going to be talking to Abiyomi Azakiwi, who is a great uh, journalist and, and activist to talk about affairs on the African continent, imperialism on the African continent with Margaret Kimberly. So look out for information about that. And uh, I'll catch you next time. Peace and solidarity. Uh, take care, everybody.